Welcome to Good Christophian Talks. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. And I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post a new episode at the start of each week with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to listen to. And now, let's talk more about this week's talk. This week's talk is an exhortation by Brother Ted Sleeper from the San Francisco Peninsula Ecclesia that was given on September 25th, 2022. Um, he gave it on Zoom to, I think, a combined group of ecclesias, which he mentions um, at the beginning. Um, this is a really kind of kind of broad topic exhortation um, titled titled True Religion. Um, and he, he starts in Josiah, which I believe was the reading, ties in the Ezekiel reading, um, and then kind of broadens it out to the, to the whole of scripture. Um, it's, it's really, a, it's really a beautiful talk. He is, he's very passionate and you'll hear it. Um, he's kind of weaving in a lot of things, uh, that get down to the core of that. We can't, um, kind of litigate or totally structure our faith or our focus. It has to come from our hearts. Um, and he repeats that message over and over. Uh, and I found it very useful, very easy to listen to, um, very accessible. So I'm very thankful to the sister that suggested this talk, and uh, I'm very happy to share it um, on the podcast now. So again, this was a suggestion. Please do keep sending in your suggestions. We, um, we, we're very thankful for them. And um, so here is Brother Ted Sleeper on True Religion. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, and to all that are here this morning. There are 46 screens. That's wonderful. There's lots of us here from uh, various ecclesias being able to come together. The reading that we had in uh, Ezekiel, and I was matching it a bit with the one from Jeremiah, was to emphasize uh, what was going on at this time. This was the end for what was left in the land of Judah. Uh, it was the end of the nation. The people had utterly corrupted themselves in the ways that God had sought to lead them. And so the end was about to arrive. What is astonishing about this, this is done in the time that began with Josiah and of course ends with his last son, Zechariah. So it's just sort of the, the, the father and his sons, it's during this period of time that this end was reached. I just wanna remind you for a moment about Josiah. This is the godly Josiah that we're talking about. He is the one that came in after his father Manasseh had brought all kinds of idolatry and horrific uh, ways of, of worshiping false gods into the land among the people. Josiah is the one who literally went through the land. He burned to ashes all of the various gods and images. He ground them to powder. He literally obliterated what Manasseh had brought into the land. And then not only that, 
But we read this in Second Chronicles. You don't need to turn to this. Let me just read this one verse from Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 33. He says, Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel. So not just in Judah in the south. He swept through the whole land to cleanse it and made all who were, listen carefully this, he made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not uh, depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. That was the godly King Josiah and what he had done in the land. But in the days of Jeremiah, the prophet, who was one of the sons of the good high priest Hilkiah that, that helped to lead the people in the days of Josiah, and he was probably the grandson of Huldah the prophetess. So this was a, a, a young man who had come through a very uh, powerful and godly lineage. It was in that days of Jeremiah that God revealed a very different outcome to Josiah's Reformation. And if you have, uh, if you can just kind of open up to Jeremiah just for a second, we'll pick this, pick up some of those verses that we had read this morning that are reflected later on in Ezekiel and what he had to say. Uh, in Verse, uh, verse 3 of Jeremiah 7, we read that, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Keep some of these things that I'm emphasizing in your minds. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in, in this place, which is what they did when they offered up their children to Baal uh, and burned them in the fire, um, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? And look at, down at verse 17 and 18 and 19. He says, do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead their dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? I guess to sum it up in a very simple way, the reforms, the incredible,
incredible reforms of Josiah didn't last long after his death. And it ended up in what we were reading in Ezekiel 21, the end had arrived in the days of Zechariah, and the Babylonians were coming in to sweep them out of, the, out of the land now in a very far more permanent way to leave the land desolate for 70 years. I want you just to think about that reform of Josiah. He did everything you would think was right. He got rid of all the bad stuff, and he reinstituted the worship in the temple in Jerusalem. That was the place that they were to come. And yet, for all of that reformation of the externals, the problem was, if reformation doesn't start from within, it can never last. Even when the forms are put right and all the institutions uh, are supposedly set up, they just don't seem to, to work in the way they're supposed to. And that's the problem with Reformation. When Reformation addresses the external forms and institutions, it's, it's as if they're focusing in the wrong place because the problem isn't the institutions. The problem is within the people. That's where the defects were, were within the people. So if you just go back to chapter four of Jeremiah, verses three and four, we read these verses. Thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up the fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so that was the problem. Real reformation and real religion begins in the heart. And when the heart is put right, that's when good and right behavior will flow from that heart into the world around you, into, into the ecclesia, into the community here in, in the times of, of Jeremiah. And uh, <clears throat> this is the time when things would then improve and become different. And this is why the reformation that God promised his people, promised to carry out, was going to be so dramatically different. I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah 31. I want you to look at this passage of scripture. This is where God's reformation is being proclaimed. So in Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31, we read this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. We know that as the Mosaic covenant. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. 
But this is the covenant that I will make, that I will make after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no more, listen to this, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. You see, what God is saying in the new covenant is what he has always wanted in terms of a religion. He didn't want the profession of lips from us. That's not what he looked for. What he was looking for was a confession that flowed out of our hearts. A people who actually knew their God didn't just know things about their God. But here's the problem. How would all those embraced by this new covenant come to know their God so well? How was God going to take what he once wrote with his fingers, remember, on the stones and gave them to Moses in the first covenant? How was God going to, instead of writing it on stone, write it on their hearts. And this is what we need to consider this morning, brethren and sisters. This is the, the critical uh, exhortation, if you like, that we want to think about this morning. Because we, in Christ Jesus, have been brought into this new covenant. And so how is it going to work out? What is it that, first of all, God needs from us for this new covenant, that, for what he has promised to actually happen? Well, it turns out there are two things that God needs for internal reformation to take place inside of us. The first is found in Psalm 40, and you can listen to this or follow along in your Bibles. It's Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8, and it goes like this. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. See, those are externals. But he says, my ears you have opened. Bird offering and sin offering you did not require. But then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will. You get what that's telling us? What God needs is a willing heart. He doesn't want to use coercion and force because that can have no place in the new covenant. That's what happened under the Mosaic covenant was this external apparatus that was trying to transform the people. But what God wanted in the new covenant is a willing desire, 
of obedience that is freely given, not forced. And if you'd like for a moment to come to the New Testament and take a look in Hebrews chapter 10, where this particular verse is picked up, we get this, we get this idea brought before us. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start back in verse 1, where he says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, which is what the new covenant is, and not the very image of the things, can never with those same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Why would you offer all of these external sacrifices? For if the worshiper once purged, if that had happened, would they would not have had more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats, these external things, could take away sins. And therefore, when he came into the world, verse 5, here's the quotation, and you know he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sins you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then I said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. And in that act, the first covenant was being taken away and the new covenant was being brought into force through the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the very core of the new covenant, at the very foundation of it, we have the one who is showing us exactly what God wanted and which is a willing heart and a willing desire to obey God in all things. But that's only half of what God needs to complete his reformation within all of us. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, you know this uh, wonderful, famous passage, which you probably have memorized, and we teach our young children to memorize. But without faith, it is impossible possible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he, that is, he exists, and that, excuse me, I've just lost my place, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the second thing that is needed after a willing heart and a willing desire to obey God and to do what is pleasing in God's sight is we have to have faith, which is not a mysterious word. All it means is a willingness to trust God with our very lives. It may not be apparent why. Trusting God is so vital to the fulfillment of this promise of the new covenant. Nor 
how it can contribute to knowing God. But if you'll bear with me, I'd like to share with you what this is all about and make it as plain as I possibly can. And of all things, if you now if you need to turn to this one, I want you to go back to Leviticus, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So your third book of the, the, the five books of Moses, if they're sometimes called, Leviticus chapter 25. And there is one small verse found in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 23 that amazingly so obscure it is, this obscure little corner in the, in the law of Moses opens up before us the significance of the very things that we have just been asking about in terms of the new covenant. So read this carefully with me. Verse 23, the land shall not be sold permanently. And we send our, this is God's land. This is the one he promised, all of that. But listen to this. The land shall not be sold permanently for the land is mine. Okay. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Did you hear what he just said? Strangers and sojourners. I think all of us this morning understand what a stranger and sojourner, some of us, <laughs> I guess for Brother James in the Philippines, that was being like a stranger and a sojourner for certain uh, and, and experiencing a foreign land. But we understand that what it means is a stranger and sojourner, it's a temporary way of life until one finally acquires a permanent home. But he says, you're strangers and sojourners with me. What? God, a stranger and sojourner? The implication of these words, brothers and sisters, are absolutely enormous. He is not to told, excuse me, <clears throat> I guess put simply, it's this. God is telling us, even way back then, that this present world in which they live through, in which we are now living through, this present world is not. God's world. He is a stranger and sojourner in this world. No place of it in that sense is belongs to him. It belongs now to man. And what we see going on in the world today is not the outworking of God's desires. It's the outworking of man's desires. So the implications of those words that we just read are enormous. But there's one more little tiny word embedded in that, which is even more surprising, because God says you are strangers and sojourners with me. To get the point what I had read back in Hebrews 11. Let me just pull that up again. 
in Hebrews 11 and verses 8 through 10, we're told that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Do you see the point of that word with me? God is not kind of above or outside of our experience. He has not told us in some detached way, well, give up your citizenship as we do as Christadelphians. When we're baptized, we, we give up our ownership, if you like, or any claim that we might have on this, this present age, this present world. And now we go out and we live as strangers and sojourners until the kingdom of God is set upon the earth. That's not what God said. Rather, what God has done is he has invited us to sojourn with him. He said to Abraham, come, come with me. So that is the same invitation that we have received like Abraham. We have been invited to join the living God, the God of heaven and earth in his sojourning until he establishes the promised new heavens and new earth, which wherein dwells righteousness, as we're told. This is the point of a, a well-known passage back in Micah 6.8. So please turn to it because I want this, you see this before your eyes as well. Hosea, excuse me, not Hosea, Micah chapter 8. There it is, got it. Micah, excuse me, chapter 6, there is no chapter 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Here's this famous verse that, again, I think we know well. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, that is to live righteous lives, following for us after the Lord Jesus Christ, to do justly, to love mercy. And we had a, a beginning class on mercy in our ecclesia a couple weeks back in Sunday school, but it literally has to do with a strong desire to reach out in salvation and forgiveness to our brothers and sisters, to love mercy, and finally, to walk humbly with our God, or as the literal translation would suggest, to humble ourselves to walk with God. 
I want you to think about that, to humble ourselves to walk with God. Remember, we said this is what, the, what God has invited us to do in the new covenant, is to become a stranger and sojourner with him in this earth. You know, you've all done this, and let's say with James, with the big group that he, he accompanied down <clears throat> to the Philippines, you know, when you're with a big group, or as he said, with the brother that was in his room, um, you get to know people when you journey with them. You get to you get to you get to see how they respond and to, to different circumstances that you may encounter together. You you see how that other person acts in, in certain ways. You become familiar with their ways. And so James, I guess at some level, got familiar with listening to the music and his, I'm not the music, the, the talks that the brother was listening to. But even more than that, you are sharing together. Think about this. You are sharing together in a common set of experiences a common life together when you are together with another person? Think about that, brothers and sisters. In sojourning and in being invited into what we have in Christ Jesus, we have been invited to sojourn with God. That means we are sharing in his life. And he is sharing in our lives. This is a, the extraordinary message. And you can just listen to this passage, if you like, from Isaiah 63. And it's in verses 8 and 9, if you want to write this down. He says, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. And so he became their savior. And then he goes on to say, this is God's loving kindness towards his people. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. In other words, in all that they experienced when they went through their wilderness wandering, they came into their land, in all their afflictions, God says he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his, in his pity, he redeemed them. He bore them and carried them all the days of old. Do you see what kind of relationship that is describing? In sharing that common life together, two things are happening. First, a common bond is being forged. A relationship is being built. Why do you think God called Abraham his friend, friend of God. Friendship is not a one-sided relationship. As much as Abraham had come through his sojournings to depend upon his God, even so had God come to depend upon his friend Abraham. And second, we need to fully realize that our life's experiences as we walk with God 
are not the subject of chance, of oops, something happened. God is meandering haphazardly around. This is God's journey. He doesn't wander around haphazardly. And he, we are with him on this journey. That means God's path that he is taking and we are walking along with him is deliberate and it is purposeful. The writer in Hebrews 12 speaks of God's discipline and training. The apostle Paul, in speaking to the brethren in Ephesus, he speaks about much tribulation, that is much pressure, through which we must pass to enter into the kingdom of God. But perhaps the most revealing passage of all in light of this is something that we find in Hebrews chapter 5. And I would like you to turn there as we begin to draw our thoughts together about why we are all together this morning. In Hebrews chapter 5, we read this in verse 7 and 8. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. The word is the idea is to learn by use and practice. Um, some is translated to acquire the habit of obedience. Jesus acquired the habit of obeying his father by the things that he went through. In other words, God was writing on the heart of his son those precious qualities that he desired through the things that his son was experiencing. And these experiences that Jesus went through arose because Jesus was willing to trust his father and to go wherever his father led him. That's what's amazing. And so brothers and sisters, what can we learn from all of this? I, I don't even know how to convey the utter wonder of our God in the new covenant. And you see that if indeed this was God's journey that Jesus joined, if he was a sojourner with his father, then the sorrow and the pain that he experienced must also be, have been experienced by his father. They were on the same journey. So don't be discouraged, my brethren. Don't be discouraged if you go through fiery and difficult, if we encounter fiery and difficult trials in our lives. If we need our hands strengthened 
because they've grown weak and our knees need need strengthening because they've grown feeble. If we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of our God, God will exalt us in due time. I want to close, brothers and sisters, by having all of us look at Galatians chapter 5, because this is just an incredible passage. Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22 and 23, listen to what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against anything like this, there is no law that is needed. Think about all of those behaviors. And then concentrate on one word in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. This is the beauty of this, brethren and sisters. The fruit is the outcome of a process. And this is the outcome of God's process in our lives. To think that <clears throat> this is what God is seeking to accomplish in each one of us by our journey with him. This is the result, a life that is fit for eternity. And so may this be according to God's grace, the blessing that we each get to experience. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk. If you would like to hear more, Please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm GCT or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel where these talks are posted as well. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.